Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. This is Calvin Rosser. And this is Steph Smith. So what are we talking about today, Steph? Today, we will be talking about what it takes to be world-class at something and what Calvin and I have learned from the very brief stints that we were world-class in golf and chess, respectively. So Steph, I know you're pretty excited about this topic. Where do you want to begin? I was just thinking about how we all have all these ambitions in life and we want to build companies or become really great at X. One of the reasons I want to talk about this is actually my boss, Sam Parr, tweeted this thing where he basically was like, look, I'm an adult now. I'm not in the best shape, but I'm in pretty good shape. A little past my prime, but I'm not world-class at any sport. What sport can I master in four to eight years and make it to the Olympics? A guy's got a dream. It just reminded me of back when I used to play chess, which is probably comparatively in the many things that I've done, the thing that I was the best at relative to the rest of the world at some point in my life. And it just made me think about how much work went into that. And this isn't a brag session, but what it really made me think about is, wow, if I want to be world-class at something, like truly the best of the best, especially as an adult, that's going to take so much work. So that was really the the premise that I wanted to start with. Is there anything that you're trying to be world-class at right now where you can leverage what you learned with chess? One of the things I wanted to talk about is this idea how when I was participating in chess, some people may regard as a sport, some people may not. There was all these things that you did to become really good that if you never played chess, maybe people wouldn't realize. Like I had a coach, I had to study it. I had to do all these problem sets. After a game, we would study the game and figure out where I went wrong. When you had an opponent, you would try to learn about their openings and their end games and learn how you could best orient to face them, all the things along the line of what a professional athlete would do. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because you asked what I'm trying to be great at now. And I was just thinking many of the things in my life, I'm not really treating like a sport and maybe I shouldn't, but it just came to light that if I really do want to become a great CEO one day, why am I not treating that like it's a sport to some degree, learning about it and training and getting someone to coach me? It just was interesting to think about that. I think one of the things that makes it difficult to treat things that you pursue in adulthood the same way that you may have treated sports as a child is that you have more things going on. And then it is actually quite tough to prioritize one or two things. I think you can only be world-class at potentially just one or two things, or it takes 10 to 15 years. So you have only a few cycles to really master something and you have to keep going in these ways that are actually quite hard to prioritize if you don't make that priority number one or two. Exactly. It reminds me of how people say you only have a couple startups in your life in the sense that it takes five to 10 years to really get a startup off the ground. And often they don't get off the ground. So if you are going to build companies, you really only have a couple to double down on. And that's why you rarely see someone have three plus successful startups in their lifetime. And I think it's the same thing, as you said, with if you want to be world-class at anything, it takes so much work and effort. And often the things that you pursue are not hard on their own, but the sheer amount of fortitude and dedication that requires you to get to the top of your field is what most people don't want to engage with. So I know you played golf growing up and you got to a pretty high level. I'd love to learn a little bit more about all the work that had to go into that to get to that level. And then also something that I found interesting is, again, getting to the top of your field is difficult from the sense that you have to be talented and you have to work hard. But I think another part that's really interesting is this idea of managing your own psychology along the way. Just for some quick context, I got into golf at age seven and I was self-taught. We didn't have a lot of money. My grandpa paid for golf, which is typically a rich person sport. So I was actually in a weird place where there was kids with just lots more. They had better clubs, they had better coaches. And so my pursuit in golf was a little bit different than I think a lot of kids. I ended up just being 
pretty talented at it. But I think my skill in golf peaked relative to others around 11 to 13. And then I was pretty good through my high school years and my team won the state championship in Florida, which is super competitive. But honestly, like golf was one of two priorities in my life. I had golf and I had my academics and I was mostly self-motivated. And golf is cool because it really is about managing your psychology. It's not just the kind of technicals of the game. It's a game where it's a solo player sport. Most of it is on you. Of course, there is a role of luck, but it's one where I really had to just throughout time, I had to learn how to deal with my own mind. And actually, that's why I ended up giving up the sport because I think I had the potential to at least play in college, if not maybe go professional, if I got some serious help from coaches. But at the end of the day, I actually never could control my temper in a way that I think would be required if you really wanted to be a professional. And some of the things I've learned later in adulthood, whether it's meditation or just learning different tactics for becoming non-reactive, I wish I had been exposed to them earlier on because I certainly would have been a better golfer and I would have had a better relationship with the game. Yeah. One of the things I find so interesting about this idea of truly becoming one of the best in the world is that talent only gets you so far. So you mentioned that golf, you were pretty talented early on. And that's what made you decide to invest in the sport. The same thing happened with me with chess, where I think pretty early on, my sister and I had a knack for it. And so my dad was like, let's get these girls in the game. Let's train them. Let's get them a coach, et cetera. But the part that we also really struggled with was grit or managing your mindset and being able to stick with it for so many years. In fact, I quit when I think it was like 12 because I just really couldn't handle the amount of pressure that it took for you to sit at this chessboard for hours on end. Every weekend, we'd be going to tournaments and just the pressure of trying to be better and better and beat people. So that's why I quit. It's so funny because recently I've started playing again just for fun, like a decade later. And I was like, wow, this is really fun. (laughs) Like playing this game is all of a sudden enjoyable again. I guess I probably enjoyed it back then. Just now that I play it, I'm like, why did I quit? But it's because when you're really at that peak of the game, there's just so much pressure. And I think you almost lose the fun in whatever you're doing. I completely agree. You have to take it just completely seriously. I don't know much about chess, but analyze your decisions, deal with the outcomes of your decisions. That's also a single player game where it's really about your strategy versus someone else's. And I imagine those losses, especially in the really important tournaments, probably weigh heavy, especially on a a child's soul. I felt the same way with golf where my relationship with the game started to sour and I started getting other interests, working out and just being more social. And I had to give it up and really haven't played much since, partially because it became in some ways like a toxic force in my life in that to compete at that level, you just really had to be self-critical. And I I think I could have improved my relationship with the game, but now I don't even really want to go out there, even though I think I would have fun because I worried that I would pick up that competitive spirit again and really start hating on myself and not have the self-compassion. Totally. It just makes me think about there's all these things in life where I think people, including myself, will look at something and say, I could do that, or that doesn't seem so hard. And one of the reasons I found this idea so fascinating is there's all these athletes or incredible leaders or just people who are at the top of their field. And we tend to assume they were born with that talent, or I could do that, or it's not that hard. Just reminiscing back onto even my early days in chess, I'm like, it's really hard to be at the top of your field in anything. And I think we just diminish the work that a lot of people put in because in some way, maybe it makes us feel better for not also being at the top of our field in anything anymore. But I just think if you haven't truly been at the top of your field in anything in your life, it can be really easy to diminish the work that it takes to get there. Yeah, it's super easy to write off someone else's success as, oh, they got lucky or, oh, they're naturally gifted. And I think that there's 
of course, the role of talent in people's success, but often I think hard work can at least get you to the top in most sports. I couldn't be a professional basketball player. I'm just frankly not tall enough or don't have the right physique for it. Or maybe I could, I'm not sure, but I think it would be a silly bet for me to make. One other example that comes to mind is I've spent most of my career in startups and I've been exposed to some of the top people in startups, the people who have built businesses, who have invested in businesses and been extremely successful in that pursuit. I actually recently hit a crossroads where it's a really sexy idea to think, oh, I could go out and build a company and build a really large company and have an impact on the world. And it's really glamorized in today's society. But when I got exposed to what it actually takes to do that, just the sheer, as you mentioned, mental fortitude to persevere through all of the peaks and valleys of building a company over the long term, I decided that at least at this point in my life, I actually don't think I would want to pursue something like that. It would take too much out of me. I think maybe down the road when I've matured in certain ways or my interests change or I really want to dive into something for 10 to 15 years, I could do that. But I think it's easy to just write it off as, oh, I could do this really easily in a couple of years. At the end of the day, when I see the people who are succeeding, they're putting the time in day in and day out. And you really have to have this motivation that keeps you going throughout and a lot of just mental strength to stay strong along the way. Totally. And it's not just the time, but I think the underrated aspect is the very dedicated, focused time on improving. So I've started playing chess again recently and I will play a bunch of games and I'll be like, I'm totally getting better. And I'm not because even though I'm playing a lot of games and I'm putting the time in, what really makes you better is that dedicated, focused effort to improve. So I should be studying the game. I should be reading books. I should be getting someone to study my games. I should be doing exercises. I'm not. And so that's why my brain's telling me from back in the day, if I just play more, I'll get better. But I'm forgetting that it's really dedicated effort. What was that book again, the 10,000? hours. Outliers, Malcolm yeah, Gladwell. So exactly. So that has been, some people think it's been debunked or not, but I think one clear aspect that people have really drilled down on since the 10,000 hours is it's not just 10,000 hours, it's 10,000 dedicated focused hours, or I'm not sure how they put it, but you get the point. Yeah. Something I, I actually have started to approach a couple of new areas of interest in adulthood, like a sport. I would say I'm still relatively novice in these areas, but I'm interested in diving deeper. One is writing and one is surfing. And for both of them, not only did I go out and practice these skills, but I've kept journals of progress or I've studied tapes. I've gotten myself filmed and really thought about that a lot. I've gotten the right equipment. I've just invested in these things. Again, I'm still on my pursuit of mastery for both of these, and I'm not sure which one I will ultimately master at the end of the day, but those actually have enraptured my intention in the same way that golf did as a young kid. And I'm really excited to keep pursuing them over the next 10 to 15 years. And what's unclear is whether I'll have that motivation to really continue excelling in the craft of writing and then surfing as well which is a little bit harder to learn in adulthood. One of the fascinating things I find about learning these new skills, especially in adulthood, is in adulthood, you feel like you know what things are. And what I mean by that is I feel like I know what surfing is, but then as you start to learn surfing, I don't know surfing, but I assume this is true because it's been true for basically anything I've learned is this whole phenomena of you don't know what you don't know. So you get started and you're like, oh, this can't be that hard. And then you get into it and you're like, I'm mediocre. I'm average at surfing. And then you learn a little bit more and you're like, oh no, I have so much to learn. There's all these aspects that are underground that once you get started, they start to come above ground. And you're like, wow, I really didn't realize how intricate or how complex even this sport or this thing that I'm pursuing was. Yeah, I completely agree with you. 
that's definitely been true with surfing. And actually what maybe has led me off the pursuit of mastery a bit is because I've gotten down a little bit with how far I am away from being at the level where I can do the things that, you know, I see people doing videos that I think are really awesome. Like I have this dream to get there. One way to mitigate that though, and just keep going is I take like a five to 10 year vision with the sport. So I've set a relative goal of surfing pipeline, which is one of the most like powerful and dangerous waves it's in Hawaii five years from now. You need a lot of skills to surf pipeline, but I think if I give myself that amount of time, whether I do that or not, I can definitely move up the learning curve a lot more quickly. And so I think sometimes like big goals that seem doable can help you keep going within these pursuits. The other quick idea that may resonate with you is in pursuing mastery in golf and then later in in writing and even building companies and to some extent surfing, I think what's interesting is there are parallels between the pursuits of mastery, like the things that are required for each, even though the tactics are different, are quite the same, which is the discipline. It's the study. It's treating it like a craft and being a professional that shows up every day. I've just gotten better at learning new skills because I've done that before. And so whether I become a master or not in these particular domains, I certainly can learn them much more quickly because of how I've learned how to learn and and build new skills. Absolutely. It also reminds me of how much harder it is as an adult, because at least for chess, and I think this is probably true for other sports, when I was growing up and playing chess, I was in these age groups. So I was like under eight, under 10, under 12. And you were grouped with other people who are similar in age who were learning at the same time. So if you were to just tell a kid, hey, go start playing chess and start facing adults, which I did in different tournaments, but in terms of the actual competition of being the best within your age group, that was still motivating because I wasn't facing 50-year-olds who had 5X the lifetime as I had to learn this thing. At least when it came to the competitive nature of like international or national competitions, it was against people my own age. So you almost could work your way up and still be competitive. And all of a sudden you're like under 10, under 12, under 14. Oh my God, I'm like, almost as good as these adults. And then at some point you are just as good as the adults versus today. If you're an adult learning a craft, you're starting at zero and you're always comparing yourself to people who are at a hundred. And there's not really these like building blocks to learn along the way, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I think that's one reason why within the pursuit of mastery, you have to build like sub milestones or just progress markers or really reflect on things. The thing that's been most helpful for me is just journaling about the different pursuits that I'm doing, because I can look back at a journal one to two years ago and be like, whoa, I've really improved. I think one thing that's easy to do is to not see how much progress you've made because you just always reset the bar to where you are today and think, wow, I still have a lot more to go. But when I look back at my old thoughts or my old skills, I'm like, wow, I've really come a long way. So just to take the optimistic side of learning new skills as an adult and potentially mastering something, becoming world-class, I think you can start at any time. You just need to be willing to do what it takes. And it is actually closer than you would think if you are willing to do the right things. I think something that comes to mind now is just, at least for myself, I'm realizing I don't have the same accountability as I did growing up. So when you're a kid, you also have your parents who are like, you have a chess lesson today, or you're going to these chess tournaments, or you said you wanted to get to this point, don't you? Even simple things like that, where today, most of the time, I think adults, they don't have accountability partners. So they say, I want to be better at surfing, or I want to be a better leader, or I want to be a better something. But at the end of the day, they are their own accountability partner. And often having just you be your own accountability partner doesn't get you as far, or at least I find that. It just reminds me that I think in your first 20 years or so of life, the world kind of invests in you and teaches you how to learn things and carries you through those 20 years. And then after that, 
I think that not everyone, but many of us forget how to do a lot of those things on our own. Yeah. One hack, a lot of people shit on life coaching or business coaches, but if you really want to get serious about improving some area of your life, and then you could even draw the example of if you want to get better at fitness, hire a personal trainer. If nothing else, it can be helpful to just have someone who's rooting for you and who's keeping you accountable, who you check in with if you're struggling to do that on your own. And I think most of the top performers that I've seen have some form of this, whether it's really smart friends who are almost like their personal board of directors or a business coach or a therapist that really helps them think through things. They continue to master their craft and master their minds in particular by hiring people and actually investing in this thing. I think people are often hesitant to spend a couple thousand dollars on a coach, but it can actually just transform your relationship with life and then the pursuits that you're doing. And it may actually be ROI positive if you're struggling to continue moving forward on your own. I think one of the big takeaways for me from this episode is just the idea that if you really do want to become the best of the best in any particular field, and if you don't, that's completely fine. But if that is something that you are truly pursuing, then I think what makes sense is to treat it like a sport and to treat it, as you said, you've been using the word craft or mastery. I think that it's important, those mindsets of it's not just going to come by itself. And even if you are naturally talented, you need to put that effort in to really become world-class at it. And I think what's cool about this is you can still explore as an adult as you could as a kid, though I think you have more freedom to do it. So around the same time I picked up surfing, I also picked up skiing and I spent two years skiing and actually went and lived in ski towns. I ended up moving up the learning curve relatively quickly, but my passion for skiing was not even close to what it was with surfing. And so I've just put skiing to the side. Now I have the skill, which is cool if I end up having friends who want to go skiing, but it didn't capture my attention enough within those first two years to really invest in it, whereas surfing did. I've done that with probably 10 different things. And through that, I've been able to, at least at this point, identify surfing and writing as two crafts that I really want to put time and effort in. And I don't think I can do much more than that if I really want to accelerate in those domains. So part of this is also being willing to say no to all of the other distractions that you may have in your life, whether that's you're trying to be a better investor. You're trying to be a better whatever. There's all kinds of areas that may distract you from your discipline. And I think the people who are the best are saying no to most things that don't fit within their realms of mastery. I agree. But something that came to mind there is when you're a kid and you're growing up, your parents will just toss you into things and say, hey, Steph, go to dance class or do gymnastics or play soccer or go do your tutoring. And when you're doing those things as a kid, or even as an adult, when you're not great at them, you're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. But at least as a kid, your parents are like, nope, keep going. Got to keep going to tutoring. Got to go to your swim lessons. And then eventually you become good enough at them where maybe some of them you forever hate, but some of them you're like, oh, I actually like this. And I think maybe that's something as an adult, we don't do enough of where we're not willing to be a beginner again. We're not willing to be pretty shitty at something. And then we just write it off before we even have the opportunity to get good at it. That reminds me of one of my favorite concepts, which is just the idea that you can reinvent yourself at any time. And this book by James Altucher, who I don't know if I respect him as a professional or not, but he certainly does write some entertaining books. It was his book actually called Reinvent Yourself. He just goes through a series of short stories and lessons he learned from some of the most famous people in the world who were good at their crafts. And it was just interesting to see the way that they approached it. And it really just opened my mind to this idea that at any time you can go pick up 
new skills or new interests. And you don't have to be tied to the identity that you've built so far. And sometimes that means shedding friends. Sometimes it means giving up certain uh, aspects of your life. But I always think that's really cool, especially if you're in like a down time or you're in a rut. Sometimes just picking up something new and showing yourself that you can learn something again is useful, even if you don't end up on that pursuit of mastery. Totally. That's what I found when I learned to code. I found that to be the most empowering thing that I could build something with my own hands or my own code. So I completely agree. But do you, you don't want to master coding, right? You just like, like it as a tool that helps you do other things. Yes, exactly. I think to be clear, you shouldn't pursue mastery in everything, right? That's impossible. As we talked about to really be the best or top of your field, it takes so much effort, so much dedicated effort that you simply couldn't do that for more than a couple things. And so I think you're right. One of the most important things about when I learned to code is a lot of people were like, oh, are you changing your career? And I was like, no, I just want this tool in my toolbox. So it is important when you're learning any particular skill to think through, what am I doing this for? What extent do I want to learn this to? And that will frame the way that you learn it and the degree that you push. So what are the key takeaways? For me, I think the key takeaways are just, again, if you want to be world-class at anything, which is your own prerogative, but if you do, just be aware of the sheer amount of effort and dedication that it takes. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think it's a really important thing to remember. Even as someone who did this way back in my life, I often forget it. I'm like, oh, I could totally become world-class at this thing. And then I'm like, no, it's really hard to do that. And so I think just outlining your priorities, whatever they might be, the few things that maybe in life that you do want to become the absolute best in, I think the other takeaway is just to invest in it like a sport, to get a coach, to practice, to study it. I think that's essential if you really are going to ascend to the top of that field. And to surround yourself with other people who are at the top of the field and above you, that's a great way to just learn what you don't know. And often you can pick up tricks as well. I think the last thing I'll add is that there's all kinds of domains that society deems as sexy. It depends on what your interests are. Right now, it's cool to be an entrepreneur building a business. But I think things that are undervalued, for example, you could become world-class at being a parent. And that means that you learn about the philosophy of parenting and really study that and spend immense amounts of time with your kid and just put everything you have into that. Lots of people do this, but I don't think that they get the same level of respect. And that can lead to a trade-off in something like your career or sport that you're trying to pursue. And I think that's a totally fine one. And so when we think about mastery, we often idolize these people who are in what society deems as like the sexier realms of mastery. But at the end of the day, like I respect the hell out of anyone who chooses something that they're interested in, puts in the effort and then becomes exceptional at it. And I've seen a couple of examples recently of just what I think is good parenting, like that went against my natural instincts. And I'm like, wow, that was just a masterclass in parenting. I think that's awesome. And it, it just makes me inspired to see how that person came to just think about the role of themselves and being a parent. It just reminds me of a lot of the things that people strive to be world-class in are things that are directly competitive. Like you can measure it. You're in a sport and you're facing someone else. But just remember, whatever you do choose to master is going to take up a disproportionate amount of your time. So if you are going to become, let's say, a, a master CEO or a master baseball player, that will take away from your ability to be perhaps a master parent or a master wife. It doesn't mean you can't be a great one. I'm just touching on this idea that to really master anything, it takes up so much of your time and energy that again, you can really only do it with a couple things. Okay. Let's wrap it there. 
This is episode, I'm not sure, but we're at least a couple of weeks in and still having fun here and hopefully you're enjoying. Yep. Thanks for listening. Until next time.